preach through a book of the Bible at a time. Uh, today we're gonna we've been we've been working our way through Matthew, but today we're gonna take a little break from Matthew uh, and we're gonna hear from John's Gospel. And so, if you want to go ahead and be turning there, uh, there are four accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew is the first, Mark, Luke, and then John is the fourth. Uh, and so, if you're at Matthew, just turn right and keep turning right till you run into John. We're going to be in John chapter 11 this morning. If you're using the uh, church Bible, it's page 897. I'm actually going to read a large chunk this morning, um, but there's really no good way to, to leave any of the details out. This is a story that all comes together, and so if you'll bear with me, it's a little bit longer, uh, but it's important as we read it. Let's give our attention to God's Word, John 11, verses 1 through 44. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. And so the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going to go there again? Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. You should laugh there. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin and said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came... He found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God... God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. 
And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Couldn't he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. Our English kind of smooths that out a little bit. Martha is really a little more blunt than that. She says, Lord, he already stinks. For he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory is like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flowers fade. But the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, this may be a familiar passage to some, and to others not. But either way, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. That the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our church actually went through John's Gospel back in 2015 and 2016. Uh, but when I went back to look at my notes for this sermon, I remembered that I didn't preach this passage. The last man to preach this passage in this pulpit was a good friend and a former elder. And his family is here today, and I didn't know they were going to be here. Neil Vinson was the last man to preach this passage. And that's fitting, 
because Neil and Lazarus have a lot in common. Like Lazarus, Neil fell ill. He found out in early 21 that he had pancreatic cancer and he and his family had to leave the mission field. And like Lazarus, Neil died. He died on the morning of July 19th, 2021. But like Lazarus, Jesus loved Neil. And like Lazarus, Neil's illness did not lead to death. Not ultimately. You see, July 19th was not the day that Neil Vinson died. It was the day that Neil Vinson began to really live. And that's the hope for everyone who trusts in Jesus. There are four things about Jesus I want us to look at this morning. I want us to look at Jesus' love. I want us to look at Jesus' purpose. I want us to look at Jesus' anger. And I want us to look at Jesus' sign. Jesus' love. John almost goes out of his way to show how Jesus loves in this passage. When Mary and Martha send the messenger to Jesus to let him know their brother is sick, they say, He whom you love is ill. The word for love there is the word for friendship. This is no stranger to Jesus. Lazarus is a friend. Mary and Martha are good friends. He uses the same word to describe Lazarus in verse 11 when he says, Our friend, Lazarus. The crowds use the same word to interpret Jesus' tears in verse 36. See how he loved him. And so you can, you can hear the plea in their message to Jesus. Lord, he whom you love is ill. Lord, you've healed lots of people. Will you come and heal the one whom you love? Will you come and heal your friend? John puts it even more strongly in verse 5 when he says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. The word for love there is the more common word in the New Testament, agape. It's for the self-giving, self-sacrificing love. So it goes deeper than the love of a friend. This is now the love that gives itself away. If you want to know what this love looks like, you can go to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul gives an excellent description of it. But then verses 5 and 6 don't really seem to go together, do they? Look again, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, how would you finish that sentence? He went as quickly as he could to Lazarus' bedside. He made the the two-day journey back to Bethany as quickly as he could. Something like that. But that's not what Jesus does. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Jesus waits because he loves. That doesn't make sense, does it? Why would he do that? Surely the loving thing would be to hurry, to come right away. That's what, that's what we would do. 
you know, when someone that is close to us is, is very sick and the prognosis isn't good, we call in the friends and the family. We say, this may be your last chance. You probably want to come. Right? But that's not what Jesus does. And, and even increasing the, the strangeness of Jesus' behavior is that he actually can do something about it. When we visit someone on their deathbed, we really can't do anything about it. We're there to encourage, maybe the family, we're there to get some closure ourselves, maybe to, uh, to comfort the one who is dying, but we can't do anything. Jesus can actually do something. And he waits. He doesn't go. Why? I'm sure that's the question Mary and Martha asked. In fact, we hear them ask that question. It's the very first thing they say to him. Both of them. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You understand them, don't you? You've been in Martha and Mary's shoes. It's a statement not of disrespect. It's not irreverent. It's even actually a statement of faith. They believe that Jesus was capable of doing something miraculous. They believe that Jesus is capable of healing their brother. But it's a statement of faith mixed with frustration, maybe? Curiosity, grief. Where were you, Jesus? I know what you can do. Why didn't you do it? Why weren't you here? Jesus loves, but his love always doesn't always meet our expectations. He doesn't always demonstrate his love in the way that we think he should. And that's because his love is tethered to a different purpose than ours. What is Jesus' purpose? He gives us a few clues. The first one comes in verse 4. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was ill, he said, This illness does not lead to death. Uh, Jesus? Are you sure? Is, is Jesus limiting himself? Is his, is his supernatural radar that enables him to, to read other people's minds and to, to know what's going to happen? Did he shut that off? Did he really not know? No, we see in verse 14 that he does know. He knows as soon as Lazarus dies. He's able to tell from miles and miles away. No, Jesus says what he says because he knows even better than we do, even better than they do, what's going to happen. When he says this illness does not lead to death, he means that Lazarus' death is not the ultimate thing in view here. That is not the end of the story. Rather, he says, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus' purpose 
in allowing Lazarus to die and not going right to his bedside is actually the purpose of love and that first purpose is God's glory. God will be glorified in what Jesus is going to do. Jesus himself will be glorified. Now, but here's the thing. Glory is not often what we think that it is. You see, by raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus will set in motion the events that lead to his own death. Turn with me and look at John 11, verse 45. Many of the Jews, therefore, had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Now we understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should die, should perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day, they made plans to put him to death. Jesus sets the things in motion that will lead to his death. But throughout John's Gospel, that's exactly where Jesus' glory is. Jesus' glory is in his crucifixion. He will say in John 12 that when he is lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is glorified by his death on the cross And the Father is glorified as well. That doesn't seem to make sense to us. And we're going to revisit that in just a little bit. But glory is not Jesus' only purpose in waiting. Jesus also allows Lazarus to die so that his followers will trust in him. Look at verse 14. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there. He's glad that he wasn't there. Why? So that you may believe. So that you may trust. That's what Jesus wants to see. He wants to see his followers trust in him. That's what the word believe means. That same word comes up again with Martha. Look at verse 21. After she says uh, what she says, Jesus says, Your brother will rise again. Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Martha, like many of uh, her fellow Jews, believed in a general resurrection on the last day. She understood that on the last day when the Lord returned, he would raise people from the dead. She had no concept for what Jesus was about to say and do. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever trusts in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and trusts in me shall never die. 
Do you believe this? Do you trust this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I trust that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. That word believe keeps popping up again and again in the latter part of this passage. Jesus' purpose is to bring glory to God and belief to his people. He wants his people to believe. He wants us to trust him. That's Jesus' purpose. I guess it would be purposes instead of two. What about his anger? We see Jesus show some strong emotions in this passage. Now, maybe that doesn't sit well with you when you hear about strong emotions and Jesus. How do you typically imagine Jesus? I think there were some bad movies early on that kind of depicted Jesus as this passionless, serene, hippie, kind of floating two inches above the ground as he moved through life, right kind of above the turmoil in the fray. But that's not the picture that John gives us here. I encourage you to get a copy of B.B. Warfield's The Emotional Life of Our Lord. It's a wonderful short little book. You might even be able to find a free PDF on the Internet. B.B. Warfield, The Emotional Life of Our Lord. Look at verse 32. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, a large crowd, and this is apparently a very prominent and important family. When Jesus sees all this, John says, he was deeply moved. That's a hard word for us to translate. Uh, your footnote may say indignant. Uh, when it's used in other literature apart from the Bible, it refers to a, a horse snorting. Jesus is, his emotions are stirred up. Indignant may be the best way to put it. And it says that he's, he's deeply moved, he's indignant, and he's greatly troubled. That word troubled comes up again in John 13 when Judas leaves to betray Jesus. And then in John 14, when Jesus comforts his disciples and tells them not to be troubled. We see in verse 35 that Jesus weeps. Not this loud crying of the crowds, but more, it's a different word, referring to quiet grief or lament. Jesus is angry and he's grieved and he's crying do you have room in your imagination in your picture of Jesus to see him like this what is it that he's angry about what is he troubled about what's he crying over is it for Lazarus probably not he's about to bring him back to life Is it the unbelief of the crowds around him, even of his own followers? No doubt that's part of it. They don't seem to understand him. Is it the effect of sin and death and grief on the world? Yeah, that too. And 
I have to wonder as he stares at Lazarus' tomb, does he see his own? Does it come a little clearer focus, the path that Jesus is going to have to walk? I believe that Jesus is indignant and troubled by all of that. He's grieved by what sin has done in the world and by the heavy weight he has to carry to rid the world of sin. And I think it's important to point out that Jesus is grieved even though he knows what will happen. He knows what he's about to do. He even knows after he dies that he will rise again. He's already said this plainly to his disciples multiple times. He knows that weeping will tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And yet, he does not move past the grief straight to the joy. We don't want to do that. Just, just listen to modern Christian music or watch modern Christian movies. It's all about victory. No offense to those of you who like it. It's one of my chief issues with Southern Gospel music. It's all about victory with no cross. Right? We rock, Christian movies, the, the, the coach, we got a losing season, and the coach prays, and we have a winning season. Victory. No cross. Previous generations of Christians were encouraged by the stories of the martyrs. People who face death while holding fast to Jesus. We want the crown without the cross. Jesus knows that the cross has to come first. He doesn't cut past sacrifice and grief and move straight to glory. In fact, in the Christian life, that's exactly what victory looks like. It's the shape of a cross. In the Christian life, victory doesn't look like winning. It looks like dying. But that's how Jesus works. That's how Jesus turns everything on its head. Because in the gospel, death becomes life. Jesus wins by losing. He wins by dying. Which takes us to Jesus' sign. Jesus approaches the tomb. He tells them to open it. Martha says, Lord, he already stinks. I think this is a bad idea. Jesus gives another invitation to trust him and to see God's glory. And then they open the tomb. And Jesus prays. Now, he's already prayed for Lazarus. But now he prays again. And he prays so that the people around him can hear him and believe. So here's, here's faith again. And then Jesus calls the dead man to get up. He wakes him up. Scholars have said, it's an old line by this point, that if Jesus hadn't specifically said Lazarus' name, every tomb would have opened and yielded its dead. Jesus calls Lazarus back to life. In fact, it's interesting that in this last part of the story, he's called the dead man more than he's called Lazarus. Drawing attention to just how 
impossible the situation is. This is the last miracle in the book of John before Jesus' resurrection. But God doesn't do miracles just for the sake of doing miracles. Jesus' miracles are signs. That means they point to something beyond themselves. They point to something else. And in this case, Jesus raises Lazarus as a sign that proves what he already told Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. And more than that, Jesus is pointing beyond Lazarus to his own death and resurrection. And so I want to close with Jesus' invitation to Martha. Look again at John at 11.25. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever trusts in me, though he die, yet he will live. And so if you trust in Jesus, even when, not if, even when your body dies, you will live. Just like my friend, Neil. And everyone, Jesus says in verse 26, and everyone who lives and trusts in me shall never die. Now, it's bad English grammar, which is why it's translated the way that it is, but if you were to do it more literally, it might sound like this. Whoever lives and trusts in me will no never die forever. No never forever. We say that only in the service. The soul that in Jesus hath room for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no never, no never forsake. Do you believe this? Let's pray. Our gracious God, our only hope, our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own but that we belong body and soul, both in life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You have fully paid for all our sins with your precious blood, and you have set us free from all the power of the devil. You also preserve us in such a way that without the will, without your will, not a hair can fall from our heads. Indeed, all things must work together for our salvation. Therefore, by your Holy Spirit, you also assure us of eternal life, and you make us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for you. Those words written in Germany in 1563 are just as true today. Lord, I pray that we would believe them, that we would believe that you are the resurrection and the life, and that our only hope in the face of certain death is in you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Similar to Lazarus and Mary and Martha and